0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Boucher, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we'll discuss last week's election, what it means for the lame duck session of Congress and the next Congress, and some news in the race for a vaccine to the COVID-19 with Douglas Holtzakian. Doug, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Well, happy post-election day week. Uh, Last week seemed to be like Groundhog's Day, where every day seemed to be the same day where we woke up and the election was still going on. Biden is the president-elect. Democrats still control the House, albeit by a smaller margin. um, And control of the Senate hangs in the balance. Big picture, how are you feeling? What's your take?
1: Uh, My take is it's an interesting election, right? This was not uh, a repudiation of Republicans by any means. They did uh, well in the House, picked up, you know, five— maybe have as many as 12 seats. Um, they likely will control the Senate when all is said and done. And so they will have lost some seats there, but retain control. Uh, but the president lost. And, you know, the original game plan for the Biden campaign was to make this a referendum on the president. I think they, by and large, did that successfully and and he didn't survive. Um, but, you know, if you're a connoisseur of elections, this was unbelievable. I mean, President Trump got more votes than anyone ever had before, just not as many as President elect Biden. And uh, the turnout was enormous. The variety of ways people voted was was uh, uh, unbelievable. And it does make you just, I think, simultaneously appreciate the richness of the democracy and wonder what lessons are we going to take from this in terms of just the execution of these elections? You know, I think we're going to see more uh, mail in balloting in the future or and, you know maybe that. If people don't like that, we're going to come up with some online alternative. But, but we have to come up with a, something other than trekking to the polls on Election Day. That doesn't seem to be in the cards. Yeah, we'll certainly
0: see some changes once January is all settled and figure out what the next two
1: years looks like. I'll give you some fantastic numbers that uh, that came out of um, uh, essentially exit interviews and, and post-election polling. Um, Trump won the day of the election voting by 26 points. It, wow. It's It's stunning. Um, but that tells you by how much uh, Biden won the, the early voting, the, the right, mailings right. and, and, and early votes. And 19 uh, percent, one in five of people who voted for Trump said that they didn't tell anyone they supported the president. Wow. So that might be. So you wonder about why the polls were so wrong. A fifth of the electorates out there saying, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to say I'm voting for him, but I'm voting for him.
0: Right. right. Wow, right. <laughs> that, that's astonishing. All right. So before we talk about 2021 and beyond, let's look at the remainder of 2020, because we know. There's things still to do. What does Congress have to do during the lame duck session, and how does this election shape how it approaches these must do items?
1: So it must fund the government, and there has been an agreement, a long standing agreement between uh, Majority Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi, that they weren't going to have a continuing resolution. They would bundle all the appropriations bills into a so called omnibus and pass it in the lame duck. So that's the biggest thing they have to do. They have an early December deadline to get that done. Uh, There are, in every policy area, some odds and ends, extenders and things uh, where they want to reauthorize uh, current programs. That's the the real work of the Congress. The attention, I think, is on whether it uh, will also be possible to do another stimulus-style bill to support the economy. Uh, There, I I think you could argue that the, the odds have improved for the following reason. If McConnell does it during the lame duck, he's got more votes uh, than he's gonna have come January. If Pelosi does it in the lame duck, she's got more votes than she will, will come come January. So both sort of have a, a, a little bit of an incentive to, to move now as opposed to have a weaker hand in the future. Um, president like Biden may choose to essentially use his bully pulpit, which is already up and running, to say, hey, they need to do something that way, it's not on his watch, and he gets to start in January with with a legislative agenda that's a, a little freed up from having to deal with the stimulus issue. So, I, I'm 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 betting something like that um, uh, comes into play. Those forces, I, I'm not guaranteeing something gets over the finish line. They're they're really far apart, mm-hmm. have been for a long time, and you know everything that I've seen on on the Biden side continues to stress how ambitious his, his agenda is and how big a stimulus he wants. And if Republicans win, you know, the control of the Senate, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. And so he might want to take what he can get on someone else's watch and and then try again big in January. That, that certainly is prerogative. So we'll, we'll see. Those things I'm watching. There's also a handful of issues like um, surprise uh, medical bills. Um, Lamar Alexander, uh, chairman of the Health Committee, is retiring. This has been one of his issues, and he very much would like to, to see it settled before he goes. They may try to give Lamar his going away gift in, in the lame duck. And, and so it's worth keeping an eye on that. That's an issue that couldn't get over the finish line during the course of the the year. But maybe, you know, the forces will align with a deadline uh, of his retirement. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So
0: um, going back to the stimulus for a moment, do you think that the, the stimulus could be added on to
1: omnibus appropriation bills you were talking about earlier? I think then it doesn't really matter. There's a, a form over substance issue about whether you have one vote on the combined packages or you have two votes on separate ones. You, you have to buy in on, on all of those things to get it done. So I, I, don't, I don't have a, a real feeling for one versus the other. Um, it, it's going to be, I think, relatively straightforward to get buy in on the omnibus. I think the stimulus is a lot of work. I think the less they mix them up is probably in their interest. So if I had to lean one way or the other, I'd probably lean towards separate bills.
0: Gotcha. Do you think at this point we're likely to
1: avoid any sort of a government shutdown? I mean, with the Trump administration? Anyone agitating to shut the government down. um, We we cannot rule out the president deciding it'd be a good idea. He's done that in the past, um, but, you know, Every day now, his uh, power wanes, and, and that's a reality that that he is he is going to have to face as, as well as everyone else. Mm-hmm.
0: Speaking of President Trump, what might or could he do for the remainder of 2020 in terms of executive action? I mean, he's in office till January. What what's on his plate?
1: So that there are any number of agency rulemakings that are in process. So the some of the high profile ones that came toward the end of the campaign. We're in the health area where he's got things on prescription drugs, the most favored nation uh, approach to this, um, and and you know there will be let's let's put uh, the foot to the floor and get all those things done. So there's an existing batch of business in health. There's some in trade, some in immigration where they can sort of finish up things. Th- that's going to be the bulk of it, right now. Remember, this is a very standard phenomenon, uh, the so-called midnight regulations. And when uh, President Trump came into office and Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, they used the Congressional Review Act to remove uh, 13, I think, uh, ultimately of Obama's midnight regulations. So they face the the sort of, you know, same prospect that at some point in the future, they might go away. But they're going to try to finalize them, see what they can get as their legacy. I, I promise you, one of the first things you'll see, uh, you know, shortly after inauguration is A flurry of executive orders as the Biden team does U-turns on everything they can lay their hands on. We'll see. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so let's fast forward to January and President Biden is sworn in. Um, He's already laid out a number of things he'll do on day one, quote unquote,
1: Mm -hmm. um, when he's in office. What are some of the highlights uh, of that? So, I'm of the opinion that day one has already happened. That that you know, really, in these circumstances with the pandemic and, and coming out of the recession. Um, you had a referendum style election on the president, Biden won. Everything he's doing now is really governing. Like people are looking to him for directions. And so, you know, he stood up his task force um on the coronavirus, and they have you know sort of met with him and, and they've already said, well, you know, it'd be a good idea if governors had m- mask mandates. And and if he can get them to start doing some things on his behalf now, that's that's all to his advantage. And so I think that's actually starting to happen. He he may, you know, as I as I said earlier, he may stand up his economics team and say they've advised me that we need to have a stimulus now, not, not wait till January. And so off, off you go. And we've seen prominent uh, uh, Democrat surrogates like Jason Furman make exactly that argument in the Wall Street Journal. So I view that as hardly coincidental, right? I mean, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But I think he's beginning. I think there's a really interesting question about, you know, the first hundred days and what he sends to Congress for the first thing to pass. The tradition, I don't know if we have any traditions left at this point. They've been shredded pretty thoroughly. Uh, but the tradition is that the 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 president gets one, right? You know, you, you get you get some ask of Congress and it goes through and it's usually the centerpiece of your campaign. And 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 that in, in two thousand when Bush got elected, that was the the tax cut that he'd campaigned on and, and, and with Obama, it was the Affordable Care Act, and that was hard and took a long time, but he got that. You sort of get one one of these things. Biden's got an enormously expansive set of uh, proposals on his campaign website, but he's never made one the priority. Hmm. I think he has said this recently, it would be climate change. He wants to start there. How you do that in a bipartisan fashion is probably very different than what's on his website. So for me, the interesting question is sort of how does he do the first thing? and And, and is it we want to get something through Congress. We know we need Republican buy-in. We're going to get something that's scaled appropriately. It's not going to be some big government thing that they they're not going to be able to vote for. Or does he make a point, right? I won. Let's pass this out of the House and and defy Republicans to stop it in the Senate. That will be a divisive, not a unifying moment. And um, he has said he wants to to govern all and unify. And so I think he he faces some real challenges on that front. I mean, sort of how he does that. So as a tiny piece of history, and and this is now I'm going to reveal my biases. So, you know, it it is a true fact that I was uh, the McCain policy director and that losing to Obama um, didn't uniformly throw me. I'll just leave it at that. Um, And then um, there's a sort of conventional wisdom that Republicans came into the the next Congress dead set on, on having his presidency be a failure. And supposedly McConnell said, we're just here to defeat Barack Obama. That's not how it happened. What happened was the very first bill they chose to pass was the Lilly Ledbetter Act, which was a highly partisan piece of legislation uh, that was designed to rub a Republican's nose. And, and, the, and then President Obama said, so he said, elections have consequences. We're going to do this. Then they took the, the CHIP bill, which was a traditionally bipartisan bill. They tore up the agreement they'd reached in the previous Congress on a bipartisan basis and passed it on a party line vote, uh, a new CHIP bill, just to let Republicans know that, that things were different. And that's when the 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 real hardening set in. They could have started another way. That's what I think the Biden team has to think about. How do you start? Because it does affect how, how it plays out. Mm-hmm. All interesting stuff. Yeah. And I mean,
0: obviously, the congressional elections, you know, the Senate still being up in the air, but you have a slimmer majority in the House to pass this stuff. That's got to affect the agenda he's got. To, he wants to pursue. Yeah. Yes.
1: And, and and to be fair, the same lesson applies to Republicans under Trump, right? What's the first thing they trade? Repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. Not exactly a bipartisan initiative. What's the second thing they did? Ran the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act through on, on using reconciliation. And at that point, it, the, the divisions are set. I mean, so I, I am quite curious, given the rhetoric that we've seen, especially his tenor and and statements post-election. You know how how Biden um, uh, dances through this. He's got a tough thing on his side. He's got a progressive wing that wants to do big things and wants to run over Republicans and is not interested in their opinion. It's always harder for a president to to control his own party than they, than deal with the opposition. And we're about to see that, I think, in, in a real clear way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that leads right into my next question, which was, you know, it's going to be a big battle between the Biden administration in the within the Biden administration, but, uh, between the progressive wing and the moderate wing of the party. How, how does this tug of war play play out in terms of policy and and legislative action?
1: The president decides, right. So my guess is. He has a lot of pressure now to make sure that all wings of the party are represented in his uh, appointments. So cabinet secretaries, sub sub subsecretary deputies, things like that. You're going to see lots of of different sort of Clinton Democrats and then some Obama guys and then the progressive wing. And uh, and so that means that in the policy process, there are going to be disagreements and more things will bubble to the president than otherwise would. And and he'll have to he'll have to decide and that'll 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 set the tone in the administration and they will have to then, you know, have very, very good legislative affairs folks who can make the case on the Hill and and, you know, buy buy enough party unity to to go forward.
0: Yeah. In terms of response to the pandemic, um, President Biden, as we talked about before, has uh, set up his own 13-member task force. Yep. Um, what kind of changes would a Biden-appointed task force make to policies around
1: the pandemic? I think the the sort of idea of having mask mandates is probably the, big, the biggest one. That's unlikely to be a federal issue. It's just, the governors control that. And I think, you know, they're good. They're simply going to be much clearer about this is what the the Biden administration would like to see in in, a, in an approach to dealing with the coronavirus. You know, we, we think people should have social distance and masks. Um, we think there should be more widespread and rapid testing, and we will devote resources and organization to that. And we are going to have a a, a stricter set of, of, of safety guidelines, and and the, those will come out of the CDC or, you know, um, the task force itself. Something, and the, and so they will set the tone they don't really have a lot of authority to actually do things very differently. Um, they're going to have the same emphasis on getting vaccines approved and, and distributed, the same emphasis on getting therapeutics approved and, and put into use. And there's a lot of progress being made on that. But I think the, the visible thing will probably be the testing.
0: Mm-hmm. What about any regulatory rollbacks? Because we, we, we saw a lot of COVID-19 rulemaking, You know, for instance, the privacy law exemptions to, uh, for telehealth are there any changes that we could
1: see there i i think the telehealth has been perceived as a big success on a bipartisan basis i don't expect them to come in and change the emergency uh rollbacks on, on that front Th- there are a lot of people who believe that's that's an item that could turn into legislative agenda in 2021 when the pandemic emergency declaration goes away you could have that uh, left behind permanently so that the, the the numbers there are just staggering in terms of the the changes in in the use of telehealth it's really quite been quite amazing mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean everybody i've talked to that's used it thinks it's just amazing where you can just sit at home and not have to go to the doctor's office and i mean it's not the same but it's still you know still helps out when
1: you, you can't do everything that way and you know we're not going to see as physicians doing first intake physicals uh, via telehealth that can't, that can't happen but but it is uh, a, a, a quote a different site of service and we do different things in different sites and there are, there are things for which it is the right side, and then we should take advantage of that.
0: Yeah. So, Doug, I want to end today on some good news, hopefully good news. Um, we saw the Pfizer announcement that the trial vaccines were more than ninety uh, percent effective. Um, you've written in the past about vaccines. I know you have your favorite podcast that you like to listen to. Um, so you, you you follow the vaccine development, but you've also written about how this vaccine might not be the silver bullet we're hoping for. Does the latest developments
1: change your thinking on this matter? Uh, no. Um, I, I'm thrilled at the efficacy. I mean, you know, the 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 FDA had said quite clearly, we'll take anything that's better than break even. So anything better than fifty percent, we're gonna we're, we're gonna approve provided it's safe so that's fantastic result but even with all that you have to first get it approved hasn't happened yet an emergency use authorization you then have to start uh, going through the the list of uh, priorities in terms of distributing the vaccine for for inoculations that's going to have the military it's going to have uh, first responders, health workers teachers people like that at the top of it. Uh, you, Kyle, and I, Doug, are not going to be near the top, and so I think we're looking at mid-year—you know, May, June, July—I don't know exactly—before we have a widespread inoculation going on, and and that that's good, but that just means that knowing it's a great vaccine in November doesn't mean that the the virus is gone in December. Like it's still six months. Six months where mask matters. six months where distance matters, six months where you've got to worry about operating in the presence of the virus. And so that's the sense in which it's not a silver bullet. Now, there are many vaccines in the process here. So the Moderna vaccines right behind. They're about to, to get their data uh, analyzed. and We'll hear about that shortly. Uh, Johnson & Johnson is pretty close as well. The Johnson & Johnson one is um, particularly intriguing because it's a single-dose uh, vaccine. You need two of the Moderna, you need two of the Pfizer. Pfizer has to be shipped, you know, 70 below zero or 90 below zero, I forget the exact number. So these vaccines come with some real distribution challenges and you have to get two shots. When we get to the single shot option and if it's as effective as these others, that'd be fantastic.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like we still have some logistical stuff to get through, some some regulatory hurdles to get through. Uh, And those are the next steps as we continue to combat
1: COVID-19. Yeah, I think... We should think about it as if the vaccine wasn't out there, and ask ourselves what what do we need to do to operate effectively and safely. And then, when the vaccine comes online, you know, you're set. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thanks, Doug, for joining us today. It was a great conversation. What uh, what do we have going on this weekend? Anything? Anything fun and exciting?
1: Um, I think we've got the usual, just gauntlet of virtual wine tastings that 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 are just a struggle for me every weekend. Um, we're, we're big fans of the Thomas Fogarty Winery uh, out in California, a little south of San Francisco, um, and have been following their, 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 them for a long time. And now they have these virtual wine tastings every Friday night. So that, that's probably the – that's that's the first thing on the list. And we'll go see what they've done on the way of a nice Merlot. Yeah, that's the big highlight.
0: Yeah, I have the uh, – I'm about to turn the uh, Masters on as I continue working for the rest of the day. Watch what, that. Oversight. Yes. Watch and it. then obviously – I have to congratulate you again because your Steelers are still undefeated somehow. winning up this to win. winning. <laughs> yeah. so that's all. that's amazing. Thanks again for joining us, Doug. All right, take care. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.